Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Rookie, Season 1 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. The Rookie is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie. Book three, the regular season. Game one, woo wall crawlers at the INF Krakens. An hour before the game, the humans started dressing. The stadium was already mostly full. Even three stories below the stands, inside the locker room's thick walls, they heard the crowd's roar. Music pumped from Yasud's locker. He loved scrag music. Loud, boisterous, boasting rhymes produced from the downtrodden culture of Rodina. Several people had asked Yasud to turn it down, but John Tweedy liked the music, so nobody pressed the point. Quentin sat on the bench, already dressed, his thoughts focused on the game ahead. His first upper-tier game. He didn't come out of it until he felt someone near, staring at him. Quentin looked up and saw Don Pine only a few feet away. Quentin's eyes narrowed to hateful slits. What do you want, Pine? Pine shrugged. Nothing. So go stare at somebody else's booty. Kid, you need to relax. I really didn't appreciate your joke back on the landing platform. What joke? What are you talking about? Denver. You had Denver come up to me in front of everyone and ask if I needed help with my passing. Pine blinked a few times. You thought that was a joke? Not a very funny one, Quentin said. You'll get yours. Pine shook his head in amazement. Well, if you get in today, kid, good luck. He turned and walked away. Quentin didn't return the sentiment. The Krakens gathered in the tunnel that led to the field. The announcer said something in quith, then repeated it in human. Here is the visiting team, the Woo-Wall-Crawlers! A scraping sound filled the stadium, like a million carpenters sanding a million rough boards. Quentin pressed his hands to the ear holes of his helmet. He turned to Yitzhak. What the hell is that? First scraping, Yitzhak said, leaning into Quentin and shouting so he could be heard over the horrible noise. Workers scraped the bristly fur on their forearms together. It's kind of like human booing. The Krakens packed tightly into the small space. Clean orange and black jerseys covered the bodies and armor of human, heavy G, Sklorno, Key, and Quith Warrior. No one pushed, no one shoved, no one threatened. The very walls vibrated with the growing roar of the capacity 185,000 being crowd. Intangible electricity filled the air, making the skin on the back of Quentin's neck tingle with excitement. Racial hatred disappeared. Well, that wasn't quite true. It didn't disappear as much as it transformed, mutated, moving from alien teammates to the unified body of the enemy, the Wu wall crawlers. The Kraken's players were no longer individual species, no longer individual beings with petty biases and hatreds and arguments. They were warriors, headed 
to battle. The announcer said something in quiff, and the crowd erupted with the roar of the High One himself. The unified army of orange and black surged forward. The announcer repeated the call, this time in human. Beings of all races, let's hear it for your Ionacrakens! Quentin found himself carried along in a wave of teammates. This was nothing like it had been on McCovey, where the starters were introduced one at a time, and the largest crowd he'd ever played before amounted to 24,500. The team sprinted out through the tunnel mouth into the perfect daylight of Ionath Stadium. Quentin had never seen such a concentration of life. The crowd's roar hit like a physical, concussive force. At the sidelines, the Krakens gathered into a tight circle. Quentin found himself packed in shoulder to shoulder against Milford on his right, pressed next to Mumo Killowee on his left, and Killick the Unworthy behind him. In front of them all, at the center of the circle, Donald Pine. This is it, Pine said. He wasn't yelling, yet his words carried loudly despite the crowd's massive volume. This is what we work for. The road to Tier 1 starts right here, right now. His voice rang with authority and command. All around him, Quentin felt Kraken's players leaning in towards Pine. The veteran quarterback radiated calm and utter confidence. Kretoraki and civilians dressed in tiny orange and black uniforms flittered about, translating Pine's words into key. We've got to go out here and establish ourselves right now, Pine said. No waiting. They won the toss. Defense, I want that ball back. Offense, I want to score on our first drive. Then, I want to score on our second drive. Then, I want to score on our third drive. No letting up. He raised his fist, and the circle tightened in a convulsive surge. Hands, petty pelps, chitinous arms, and raspers reached out to Pine, who stood in the center of it all like a battlefield hero. Quentin found, to his surprise, that he instinctively reached his own hand out as well. But he stopped himself only a few inches from the veteran quarterback, pretending that he couldn't quite reach. Every player let out a single, deep, guttural grunt that transcended language. Then the circle broke apart, the players gathering in groups. Kickoff team, defense, offense, and second stringers. Across the field, the Wu wall crawlers broke from their own huddle. They wore pinkish leg armor and white jerseys, with letters and numbers in light blue rimmed by purple. Each jersey had the word crawlers stretched across the chest above their number. A stylized purple creature on the right shoulder of each jersey spread forth long tentacles. Two down the chest, two down the back, and two down the right arm, or arms in the case of the key. Five graceful, boneless hurrah floated onto the field. Their soft wings undulated in wave-like patterns, carrying them smoothly forward. They wore black and white striped jerseys custom-fitted to their flat bodies. Quentin suddenly understood why the hurrah made great refs. They could fly up to monitor the 20-foot-high mid-air battles between scorner receivers and defensive backs. A grounded ref could never accurately judge interference. Pine walked up next to Quentin. He saw the younger quarterback looking at the refs. Never seen flying refs before? Quentin shook his head. No, but it's a great idea. 
Stupid Zeebs. They hate the Krakens. We always get crap calls. What's a Zeeb? That's what they call refs. Yeah, but what is it? I uh, think it's short for zebra. What's a zebra? Pine shrugged as he put on his helmet. Beats me. Some animal with black and white stripes, I guess. From Satirly 6, I think. The Krakens lined up for the kickoff. The crowd of 185,000 started beating their feet in place. Quentin looked at the stands behind him. The crowd was mostly quit, with workers filling the higher rows and upper decks. Plenty of humans, quith warriors, and quith leaders filled the lower seats. He spotted the distinctive shape of many Sklorno females in the stands, most of whom wore replica Kraken's jerseys with number 80, Haywick's number. Special sections of the stands were packed with the bouncing, one-foot diameter fuzzy balls that he now knew were Sklorno males. These sections were enclosed in clear crystal metal. The males bounced up and down inside. There had to be thousands of them in each enclosure, moving so fast he could barely make out individuals. Quentin wondered why, when looking at a stadium packed with a half dozen races, the Sklorno males were segregated. Quentin nudged Yitzhak. Why are the Sklorno males in that cage? The bed bugs? Because they get so turned on watching the females that they will rush the field and try to mate with them. Quentin grimaced. What? Really? Oh, sure. They're horny little buggers. Watch out if you're around any of our receivers or DBs in public. The little scumbags will lose it and will just start humping them. That's why the females wear full-body clothing in public. Otherwise, the bedbugs might impregnate them. The crowd's foot-pounding picked up in intensity and was joined by a low, oh, that quickly increased in pitch and volume. Quentin turned in time to see the kicker's foot slam into the ball exactly at the moment the crowd's oh turned into a sustained ah of excitement. The ball sailed through the air as the Kraken's kickoff team pounded down the field. Quentin saw Yasu rushing downfield, that murderous look on his face. Denver and Milford were out there as well, sprinting like living missiles, pulling ahead of their teammates. A line of human and quith warrior wall crawlers formed a wedge and drove upfield, followed by Esclorno carrying the brown ball. Denver and Milford launched themselves high into the air, arcing over the wall crawler's wedge. Two pink and white clad Sklorno players shot through the air to meet them. One picked off Denver in midair and they fell in a heap. Milford twisted and her defender sailed past. She landed on her feet as Yusud and the other Kraken smashed into the wall crawler wedge. Milford sprang forward. The wall crawler ball carrier tried to dodge, but Milford brought her down at the crawler's 15-yard line. The crowd roared so loudly that Quentin put his hands to his helmet's ear holes. He heard some kind of high-pitched screeching from the stands and looked back. The Sklorno males bouncing maddeningly in their enclosures, hitting the crystal metal walls so hard they had to be injuring themselves. John Tweedy led the defense onto the field. I am the bringer of death, scrolled across his face. The crawler's offense came out and huddled up, led by quarterback Kelly Musai Ed. Warburg walked up and stood next to Quentin. Kelly's in for a long day, Warburg said. This run-and-shoot garbage doesn't work against Michnik and Khomeini. Kelly snapped the ball and handed off to running back Kopu Sogang, who found nothing at the line. 
He cut right, but Khomeini reached out his long arms and dragged the runner to the ground for no gain. The crawlers next ran a short out pass, good for three yards, before Berea leveled the receiver. On third and 17, Kelly dropped back as four receivers snaked into the defensive backfield. Mitchnick drove into the crawler's right tackle, then spun inside and broke free. Kelly felt the pressure and threw the ball away. The crowd roared in approval. The defense ran off the field to congratulations and approving slaps from the offense and the second stringers. The crawlers punted. Richfield called for a fair catch, and the Kraken's offense took over for the first time. Pine led the offense onto the field. Warburg waited a few seconds before leisurely trotting to join the huddle. Quentin moved to stand next to Yasud. What's it like out there? It's unbelievable, Yasud said, his grin once again firmly in place. The crowd is unreal. There's so much energy. You'll see soon enough. Quentin shrugged. Now hopefully the old fart won't last long. You never know, Yasud said, neither agreeing nor disagreeing with Quentin's hopes. First and ten on the Kraken's 45. Pine wasted no time exploiting the crawler's slow secondary. He hit Haywick for a 12-yard slant, then Kobayashi for a 6-yard out, then a deep crossing pattern to Warburg. Warburg caught the ball in full stride and turned upfield, all 365 pounds of him moving at top speed. Crawler defensive backs Soul and Onaway closed in on him. Warburg turned to slam into Soul head-to-head, knocking the 280-pound Sklorno defensive player backwards. Warburg stumbled from the contact, and Onaway brought him down for a 22-yard gain that gave the Krakens a first and 10 on the wall crawler 15. Warburg and Onaway got up. Soul didn't. The game paused as a hurrah doctor flew out onto the field, trailed by a floating cart. The hurrah looked exactly like Doc, except this one's backpack was pink and light blue instead of orange and black. The doctor looked at Soul for a long minute, then pushed the cart over the Sklorno's prone form. A hundred tiny wires shot out of the cart's underside, wrapping around Soul in a hundred different places. The cart rose about a foot, and Soul's body rose with it, still in the exact same position she'd been in on the ground. The doctor flew off the field toward the tunnel to the locker room, the cart zipping along behind. With the wounded player removed, the teams lined up once again. The crawlers blitzed on the next play. Pine calmly delivered a seven-yard slant to Scarborough. He dropped back once more, standing tall and taking his time. His offensive line gave great protection, and after five full seconds, Pine fired a tight spiral to Haywick for a touchdown. The stadium shuddered from the crowd's roar. Fireworks exploded overhead. The entire sky seemed to turn a deep orange. Quentin ducked involuntarily, as if from the shadow of some giant bird flying close overhead. Relax, that's just the dome, Yasud said. They turn the whole thing orange when we score a touchdown. The color blinked away, and the sky was once again clear and bright. Pine and the offensive receivers ran off the field as the kicking team came on for the extra point. Oh, yep, Yasud said. He is an old fart. Five for five and a TD on the first drive. Man, we should get him a wheelchair and some oxygen before he collapses. 
Screw you, Quentin said. Yasu just laughed. The defense continued to pound the wall crawlers throughout the first half, shutting down Musayed. Michnik sacked him twice, and Tweedy got to him once with a devastating hit on a linebacker blitz. Pine made good on his pregame plans, guiding the Krakens to scores on their next two drives. At the half, the Krakens were up 24-7. Pine added one more touchdown for good measure in the third quarter, a 32-yard strike to Scarborough. With each completion, Quentin grew angrier. He'd settled into his newfound role as a sideline spectator when late in the fourth quarter, he heard Hokor's distinctive bark. Barnes, the coach called. Next series, you're in! In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Quentin stared at his coach, then back at the field. He was going in before Yitzhak? Was he second string then? Quentin's pulse beat double time as he watched the Kraken's defense working against the Crawlers. Kelly hadn't made it past the third quarter before the Crawlers' coach pulled him. His replacement, second-year player Anna Ruta Smith, didn't fare much better. Smith completed a short hook for a first down at the Kraken's 32. Come on, defense, Quentin said through gritted teeth. He looked up at the clock. One minute, 12 seconds left to play in the game. He should have been able to predict what happened next. Tweedy showed blitz, but slid into coverage as Smith dropped back. Mumo Killowee, who'd already notched one sack, furiously drove his opposing lineman back as he reached for Smith. Smith dodged to the right, feeling the pressure. He threw a quick crossing pattern to a seemingly open tight end. Tweedy was playing his lame duck act. He broke on the ball with a speed he hadn't shown the entire game and picked off the pass. The crowd roared in approval. As Tweedy and company came off the field, Quentin sprinted on, so excited he could barely think. He stood in front of the huddle, a mix of first-string linemen and second-string skill players. Yasud looked back at him, grinning. Denver and Milford were there, 
their armored eye stalks twitching in anticipation. Quentin's heads-up display activated automatically. Holcor's yellow and black, one-eyed face appeared, lifelike and right in front of Quentin's face mask. Face block dive right, Barnes, Holcor said. Keep it simple and hang on to the ball. Quentin relayed the play to the Krakens. He broke the huddle and walked to the line. That feeling was back in his stomach again, the queasy feeling, the one he'd never known before that first full-contact practice two days earlier. His five key linemen looked like a giant wall of muscle. Yet if they were a wall, a fortress, beyond them were three key battering rams in white jerseys, waiting to blast through the offensive line and tear into him. Outside of them, two gigantic human defensive ends, obviously heavy G natives, so big they dwarf the PNFL's biggest players. The first play, at least, he wouldn't have to worry about the front five. Quentin squatted, left foot forward, right foot back, as he reached his hands under Budo Schweck. He pressed his left hand up, but Budo felt wet. Quentin pulled his hands back out. Black wetness smeared the back of his left hand. Budo was bleeding. Should he call a timeout? He quickly looked at his lineman. Black blood smeared the orange numbers on their black jerseys, most of which were ripped in one place or another. Some of their arms were up and ready to block, while a few arms hung limp and lifeless, broken. Yet none of the key had come out of the game. Quentin, let's go! Yasud shouted from behind him. Quentin flashed a glance at the play clock seven seconds before he'd be flagged for delay of game. He quickly wiped his hands on his jersey, then squatted and thrust his hands under Budo Schweck. Blue 32! Blue 32! Hot, hot! Budo Schweck snapped the ball. Quentin felt it slap into his hands. He pulled it to his stomach and turned as he stepped back. Yasud surged forward, the back of his right hand on his chest, elbow high, his left hand across his stomach. Quentin reached the ball out, and Yasud slammed his arms together, taking the handoff and driving forward. He found no opening at the line, so he cut right. Vuko Will, the Kraken's right tackle, drove his defender backward. With nowhere else to go, Yasud put his head down and followed Vuko Will. Defenders swarmed on him for a gain of only three yards. The Krakens huddled. The clock ticked past one minute and kept rolling. Hokor said. X left. Quentin looked to the sidelines and tapped the transmit button on his right wrist. Come on, coach. The secondary is soft. Let me go deep. Quentin saw the little holographic Hokor's yellow fur suddenly stand on end. Barnes, run the plays I call. Screen pass. X left. Quentin nodded, turned to the huddle, and called the play. He lined up again noticing suddenly that the butterflies were worse than before. His stomach seemed to shrink, reducing itself to half-size, then quarter-size. And now he had to pee, quite badly. Red 16! Red 16! Hut, hut, hut! The line clashed together once again. Quentin dropped back, holding the ball up by his ear, ready to pass. Suddenly, the line parted and the white-jerseyed battering ram surged forward, multi-jointed legs pumping and multi-jointed arms quivering. The monsters roared with unbridled fury as they charged towards him. 
He backpedaled as if he was avoiding the rush. Just before the key defenders reached him, he turned and threw the ball to Yasud in the flat. Kilo Yoet and Shodo Thicket, the left tackle and left guard respectively, had released their blocks and moved to the flat to block for Yasud. Yasud caught the pass, but Quentin didn't see the results of the play. Three huge bodies bore down on him, driving him to the ground. Almost a ton of defensive linemen smashed into him as he hit the turf. His armor resisted most of the impact, but not all. His lungs felt compressed, like he couldn't draw a full breath, and he couldn't move a muscle. Quentin heard a whistle, but the weight remained. He felt the key's hot breath on his face and looked up into the hexagonal mouth and sharp teeth. The mouth flexed as the key spoke in its guttural tongue. Heard it all before, loser, Quentin grunted out. The huge creature shifted its weight and suddenly Quentin felt the tip of a chitinous arm reaching into his helmet. The arm moved quickly and he felt a searing pain across his cheek. More whistles sounded, and the lineman pushed off of him. Quentin stood as he felt a hot wetness spread across his cheek. He touched it, and his fingers came away streaked in his own blood. The butterflies in his stomach dried up and crumbled to dust. Blossoming rage took their place. The kraken started to huddle up, but Quentin walked past them, shouldering roughly past his own key lineman. "'You want to play with me?' Quentin shouted, pointing his finger at the back of the key lineman who'd cut him. The name on the back of the jersey read Yag Alatis. The unblinking black eye spots in the back of its head saw Quentin, of course. Yag Alatis turned to face him. You want to play with me, you salamander? Yag Alatis simply put his bloody hand to his hexagonal mouth. A blackish tongue slithered out and licked the red blood clean. Out of the corner of his eye, Quentin saw yellow flags fly. Hurrah officials in their black and white striped jerseys flew between Quentin and the key lineman. Quentin was about to shove them away and go after Yag Alatis when strong arms wrapped around his chest. Easy, kid, Yasud said as he tried to hold Quentin back. Come on now. Quentin kept pointing and kept shouting. You want to do that bushly garbage with me? Another flag flew. Three black and white jerseys fluttered in front of him, helping to hold him back. A distant part of Quentin's rage-stoked brain found it interesting a flying creature could display such considerable strength. A ref pushed him, and he almost fell backward. Quentin's shoulder tossed Yasud, sending the rookie running back sprawling on the ground, then reared back to hit the ref that pushed him. Hokor's voice in his ear screamed loud enough to make him wince. Barnes, no! You hit a ref and you are suspended for the season. The coach's words snapped Quentin out of his one-track intentions. A season-long suspension? Hell, nothing was worth that. He helped you suit up and walked back to the huddle, casting glances over his shoulder at Yagalatis as he did. Barnes, that little lad cost us 15 yards, Hokor growled in his earpiece. Now take a knee and run out the clock. Without looking at the sideline, Quentin reached down to his belt and calmly turned off his receiver. He looked up at the scoreboard and assessed the situation. 32 seconds to play, first and 25 on the Kraken's 45. As Quentin reached the huddle, he glared at his key lineman. 
Their eye spots stared back at him, seemingly impassive. They didn't seem bothered in the least that their quarterback had just been cut by an opposing lineman. Hey, Yasud said. Call a timeout, Chief. You're bleeding pretty bad. Shut up, Quentin growled. No talking in my huddle. X flash left, double deep. Denver and Milford, get deep fast and get open. The two Sklornos started to quiver with excitement. Knock it off, Quentin barked. You want the whole stadium to know what we're doing? The two receivers instantly fell stock still. Shouldn't we just take a knee? Yasud asked. Quentin reached out and grabbed Yasud's face mask, twisting it and pulling his head forward. My huddle. You talk one more time and you're out. You got it? Yasud, surprised and wide-eyed, nodded once. Quentin let him go. Line up like we're showing a quarterback kneel. As soon as we get to the line, Denver and Milford sprint to X-Flash. Go on first sound. Ready? Break! Quentin and the others jogged to the line. Denver and Milford lined up outside the left and right tight ends, respectively. Then, just as the defense settled in for the predictable situation, the Sklorno receivers sprinted out along the line of scrimmage. Quentin saw Hokor's fur ruffle once more. The coach said something into his mouthpiece, but Quentin didn't hear it. Just as Hokor started to signal for a timeout, Quentin shouted, Hut! and the ball hit his hands. He dropped back five steps and planted, looking downfield. The crowd roared as Denver sprinted down the sideline, then angled toward the center of the field. Jack Obina, the crawler's cornerback, matched Denver step-for-step with blanket coverage. He suddenly realized that Mitchell Fayette had been right. This was nothing like practice. The key defensive tackles drove hard against the offensive linemen, roaring and punching and tearing. The offensive linemen gave as good as they got, backing up as they did, throwing punches and tearing at half-shredded jerseys. Huge bodies smashed against one another, flesh shuddering in concussive waves with each impact. Droplets of black blood flew in all directions as the pocket formed around Quentin. He stood at the eye of a storm of predatorial violence, where he was the prey. Yagalatis, his white jersey streaked with black, tried a spin move. It was amazing to see something so big move so fast, show such agility. Kilo Yoad managed to counter the spin move and stayed in front of the attacking lineman. The left defensive end had dropped into pass coverage, but the right end came in with all his heavy G-force. The 535-pound monstrous human drove forward, powered by thighs that looked like beer kegs, his thick arms pushing and pulling at Vuko Will, the Kraken's right tackle. As big as Vuko Will was, it was all he could do just to stay in front of the attacking beast in a football uniform. They didn't just want to tackle him. They wanted to kill him. For the first time since his rookie season in the PNFL, Quentin Barnes felt small. Quentin waited, feeling the defensive pressure coming for him. His mind operated like a multi-processing machine, simultaneously measuring a hundred different inputs. He let the ball fly, and it arced through the air. At first, he thought he'd thrown a bit too far and a bit too high, but Denver and Jacobina turned on the Jets and burned downfield. Fifty yards downfield, Denver and her defenders sprang high into the air, but Denver jumped higher. Fifteen feet up, Denver reached out and snagged the perfectly thrown ball. Her momentum carried her into the end zone. She landed for a touchdown. 
when crowd volume reached deafening levels. Quentin knelt and picked up a few blades of Iomat, torn up by the constantly churning cleats. He held the circular blades to his nose and sniffed. Smelled like cinnamon. He stood, then pointed straight at Yagalatis. That touchdown was for you, baby! Quentin shouted. Now go translate this! He grabbed his crotch and shook it three times. Yagal Lattice's black eye spot shrunk to tiny pinholes, and he started to charge forward. This time, the hurrah officials were ready. Flags flew again as four of them blocked Yagal Lattice from coming after Quentin. The massive lineman could have effortlessly knocked the hurrah aside, but Yagal Lattice wanted to sit out the season no more than Quentin did. The offense ran off the field as the kicking team came on. Hokor's fur stood on end. What was that? I told you to take a knee! Quentin shrugged. Transmitter was broken, coach, so I called a play. Hokor's one eye stared hard at Quentin. After the game, I'll see you in my office, Barnes. Now go get that cut fixed! Quentin nodded, then smiled and walked to the bench. Teammates thumped him on the helmet and shoulder pads. Pine approached and extended a hand. Quentin shook it before he realized what he was doing. Great pass, Pine said. Amazingly, he sounded genuinely happy, but Quentin knew the veteran was mocking him. Pine still had that grin on his face. Perfectly timed for Denver's leaping ability. Thanks, Quentin said. How'd you know to throw it high and deep against Jacobina? Well, I... But she can't do her maximum vertical when she's running full... Quentin's voice trailed off a recent practice memory jumping into his head. Who is the starting quarterback for the wall crawlers? Hokor had asked him. Jacobina, great vertical leap, but not very strong and easily blocked. Two-year vet. What's her weakness? Trouble reaching maximum vertical leap during a full sprint. How do you beat her? Throw deep and high, make the receiver have to really sprint and jump to make the catch. Jacobina usually can't match the jump if the ball is thrown correctly. Pine's grin widened just a bit more as recognition washed across Quentin's face. Maybe Hoko's instructions aren't busy work after all, eh, rookie? Quentin looked away. Pine was right, and he didn't want to deal with a veteran's smugness. The smiling Yitzhak came up and pounded Quentin on the shoulder pad. Great throw! Dad's showing him! Doc floated over his vocal processor kicking out more volume than usual to compensate for the crowd's incessant noise. That's a nasty cut, Quentin, Doc said. Let's get to work on it. Doc grabbed Quentin's arm and pulled him into one of the med bays behind the bench. Quentin's cleats clacked as he moved from the soft field to the bay's metal-grade floor. Doc reached into a drawer and pulled out a spray can and something wrapped in plastic. First, let's clean that up. Key claws can produce a nasty infection in humans. Now hold your breath, this will sting just a bit. Quentin took in a deep breath and held it as Doc sprayed the can's contents on his cheek. The mist felt cool on his skin. That didn't sting at all, Doc. I wasn't talking about the antiseptic, Doc said, and with one smooth motion ripped open the plastic pouch and put a blue, wet, rectangular cloth on Quentin's cheek. Pain leapt up immediately, as if someone had placed a branding iron on the cut. He stood up with a start and pushed Doc away. Oh, hi, one! What the hell is that? Quentin reached up to tear off the cloth, but Doc's ribbon-like tentacle slapped his hand. Don't be a baby, Doc said. That's not on it. 
It burns because nanocytes are ripping open a few cells to read your DNA. The burning intensified. Quentin felt tears welling up in his eyes. Oh, gee, couldn't you just stitch the damn thing? Doc shuddered, a ripple that coursed through his boneless body. Don't insult me, Quentin. You're not in barbarian lands anymore. Quentin danced in place, fighting to keep his hands off the cloth, but already the pain was subsiding. Has the burning ceased? Quentin nodded. A tingling sensation replaced the burning. The nanocytes have read your DNA to see exactly how your skin is supposed to be. They are rebuilding the cut right now. How many of them are in there? The patch contains roughly 500,000. A half million? A trivial amount, I assure you. You would need ten times that amount for muscle or ligament damage. Quentin had never heard of such medical technology. And he was receiving it on the sidelines of a football game. He could only wonder just how advanced things were in an actual hospital. The holy men preached about the nation's technical advancements, but most people knew the truth. That the purest nation was decades behind rival systems like the Planetary Union and the League of Planets. Of course, he was in the GFL now, in the land of some big money, where no expense would be spared to keep oft-damaged players on the field. Still, he thought of that boy back on McCovey, the one he'd given his jersey to after the PNFL championship. Would this kind of treatment have helped that boy? Would it have saved his arm? Doc reached out and removed the cloth. It was bloody and limp. He tossed it toward the bench, where it lay with other sideline debris like grass-stained tape, broken straps and broken buckles, torn jerseys and magna cup rings. So what happens to the nanocytes now? They'll run around looking for more damaged skin until they run out of energy. And then? And then what? They stop working. Yeah, but when do you take them out? We don't do anything with them, Quentin. Your body will process them out like any other waste. Kidneys will filter them. So I'll pee them out? That is correct. Now if you'll excuse me, I must see what other injuries require my attention. The game finished with the Kraken's defense on the field. Surprisingly, the crowd counted down the last ten seconds in English, and that grand football tradition sounded little different than it had back in the PNFL. Orange and black banners flew, colored streamers sailed, and fireworks blasted over the open stadium. The Krakens, victorious, drifted into small groups off the field and into the tunnel. He saw Warburg and Seth Hanasek, the wall crawler's stocky fullback and another nationalite, praying at the 50-yard line. Quentin ignored them. He had always felt the high one had more important things to do than concern himself with football and probably didn't listen to victory thanks. Quentin left the field, basking in the glow of his first GFL game. He hadn't played much, but he had made the most of it. Two of two for 80 yards and a touchdown. Hokor really had no choice now but to give him more playing time. Pine was great, but Quentin was the future, and now everybody knew it. The Krakens, their fans, and especially Coach Hokor. You have been listening to The Rookie, Season 1 of the Galactic Football League Series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar, with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. 
written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Super Weapon. Superweaponband.com. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.